Well, if you got your Bibles, grab a hold of it. We're very excited. You know, I told a story earlier in Kazakhstan how I shaved my beard off and then uh, we may be seated and grab your Bibles. <laughs> I, uh, so I shaved my beard and I told him my son would be coming the next day. Now, and just so you know, I didn't really lie, uh, except about the son part. I did lie there. But, but the next day when I went to the pulpit, I said, my father has sent me. That's how I introduced myself. Well, he has. Everywhere I go, my father has sent me. So I just wanted to let you know I'm not a bald-faced liar. I, but now thinking about it, yeah, I lied. I'm sorry. Praise the Lord. But the, somehow the Lord still anointed it, so that was good. But today I'm not lying. My son's preaching today. So uh, without any further ado, and we, we realize we've cut... Uh, 15 minutes off of Zach, so we may massage some things as we go. Come and bless the people. Hello, everyone. This is like deja vu. Man. Oh, man. Tuesday. I was here Tuesday. What do we talk about Tuesday? Does anyone remember? Trees. Gardens. Paradise. Yeah. And I told you about the terror I do on my students with Pavlov's dogs, right? Yeah. But well, I'm here, I'm here to destroy your Bible study because that's the goal of this bell. Um, when, you're, when you're reading the New Testament and somebody quotes an Old Testament vo- uh, quotation or you get an illusion, I want this in your subconscious to just, to just ring off. So I'm here, to, I'm here to ruin you for that. So. Um, but we talked about uh, pattern reading. I'm really into. Uh, I'm excited about this. It really, um, it really opened up the Bible to me, and I want to give you the, the same kind of information that I got. Um, you know, back in your Bible where all the pages are a little sticky sometimes, those Old Testament stories that are just very strange um, and weird. You know, you got floating hammers and chariots of fire, and it's just, there's just a lot of weird stuff. And uh, we talked about pattern reading, and uh, we also talked about uh, a quilt. I like to see the Bible as a, as a giant quilt. You know, you have these little squares, these little stories. Uh, you know, maybe it's creation. And then the next one is Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden. And all these quilts, these stories in the quilt come together in one giant, uh, what's called a meta narrative, a big story, you know. And they all point to Jesus, uh, which is great. Um, so we talked about paradise and we talked about trees and how the hebrews would when they wrote they would use a repetition of words to signal things to people so when you're reading them you would immediately think back oh 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 yeah oh wait a minute and part one of those is is the use of trees or shrubs or bushes which should make you think of the garden um we talked about you know i asked when is paradise you know we went to to genesis 2 and we read about paradise we went to revelation and and we read we read about paradise and Jesus told uh, the criminal on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then uh, Paul had a vision uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, and he said, you know, I went up to the third heaven, and uh, I was in paradise. So he equated heaven with paradise. And, uh, you know, we kind of brought that all together, that uh, paradise isn't, 
It isn't just a place. I, I, I think it is a place, but I, I think we, a lot of times we miss the boat when we think of it as like a destination, as a place. Paradise is, is a relationship with a person. Uh, Jesus said, you'll be with me. Uh, in Revelation, he said, you'll be with me and I will let you eat from the tree of life. Um, so it kind of all came together. Um, today, uh, another exciting topic, we're going to talk about mountains. Mountains and tabernacles and temples. Um, oftentimes in the Bible, um, mountains will be used or a hill will be used. This is one of my bugaboos. Um, my dad and I talk about translational issues all the time. He, he loves his King James, and I'll let him have it. It's fine. Uh, but for me, for, me, for me, a lot of the times it's um, authors trying to, to change up a word so that like, maybe the sentence flows better or uh, they actually remove the repetition, which is just makes me so mad, because the repetition is there for a purpose. And it might, it might sound clunky when you're reading it, but when you see the repetition, you're supposed to remember something. Remember, he's, the author is signaling you. It's, it's, it's a really interesting uh, thing. And when you do this more and more, and when you start seeing it, you'll start seeing the echoes. And when you get to the New Testament and you start reading it, and uh, you are reading your New Testament, uh, it should signal things in the Old Testament. And uh, maybe not in your daily Bible reading where you're just reading the Bible, but in your studies, when, when you get that signal, go back and read that Old Testament story. The author wants you to remember that story. There's a reason. And so when you go back there and you get the context of that story, and then you go back to the New Testament, you're, you're going to get fireworks. I guarantee you. It's awesome. So today we're going to talk about mountains and temples. Um, you know, if you guys want to open your Bibles to uh, Exodus, we're going to go to Exodus 3. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 1. Uh, we're going to read down um, probably to verse 6. Help you guys out back there. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of his father in Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush bush. Eden, right? Right? Okay, the tree. See the tree. <clears throat> he looked and the bush was ablaze with fire, but it was not being consumed. So Moses thought, I will turn aside to see this amazing sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. God said, do not approach any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He added, I'm not the God of your father. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at this is This is interesting to me because there's nothing special about this mountain. It's just a mountain in the middle of nowhere. But from this point on, Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb as it's called, is a very special mountain. But this right here, Yahweh appearing, is what makes this holy ground, holy, holy space. Uh, I think of uh, Jacob in, in Genesis 28. He's running, um, I think he's running from Haran. He's running from his brothers to go to Haran. He's just in the middle of the wilderness, and he, he takes a nap, and uh, he has a vision, and he sees the angel on fire, just like here. Remember that. And uh, the angel's ascending and descending, and he wakes up and he says, this is, this is Bethel. This is the gateway to the skies. And then he anoints a rock. 
So that place became holy ground. There was nothing special about the ground there at the time, but it was the appearance, it was the presence of Yahweh that made it holy. And uh, that's a big deal. So from, on, from here on out, this, this mountain is special, but it's special because of Yahweh's presence. Uh, so we're going to continue on. Uh, Exodus 19 is where we're going to go next. We're going to read uh, verse 3 to verse 6. <clears throat> Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain. Thus you will tell the house of Jacob and declare to the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I lifted you on angels' wings and brought you to myself. <clears throat> and now if you will diligently listen to me, and this in the Hebrew is Shema Shema, which is one of the most important prayers uh, to the Jews. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your, your mind, body, soul, and strength. And uh, I oftentimes, when my kids aren't listening, I'll kick them in the rear and say, Shema, Shema. Because it's, it's a referencing of hearing and obeying. It's not just listening, it's, it's hearing and obeying. Uh, and now if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, remember Abraham, what was he supposed to do in the garden? He was supposed to work it and to keep it. So this same, this same thing is going on here as we can see this connection. My covenant, then you will be my special possession. This is really an You've been reading from Ephesians 1, right? Yeah, go to Ephesians 1. I think, I'm pretty sure it's there. Ephesians 1. Special possession. Uh, yeah, verse, yeah, verse 11. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own special possession. Now, right? Right? Are you seeing it? Paul here is saying you're God's possession. You're his special possession. That should immediately teleport you back right here to this spot of the mountain. Now, we're going to see in a second here uh, the presence come down on the mountain. But that, that same verbiage, special possession, out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests. Do you remember what we read on Tuesday out of 1 Peter? You're a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. That's, the, that's what he's doing here. That's what, that's what Paul's doing. That's what Peter's doing, is they're going back to this spot right here at this mountain. It's very important. And a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the Israelites. All right, so let's move on in the story here a little bit. Let's go to Exodus 24. We're going to start in verse 12. Exodus 24, 12. Now this is, this is where the repetition comes in. And this is the signaling. Uh, and when you see that repetition, you really got to zoom in because the author's trying to get something across here. So we're going to read uh, Exodus 24, 12 to verse 18, and I want you to see this. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments that I have written so that you may teach them. Can we remember anyone who went up on a mountain and taught people? Maybe in the New Testament? Anybody? The Sermon on the Mount? Oh, the author's signaling. So now we're here. Jesus teaching from the mountain. Okay? So Moses set out with Joshua, his attendant, and Moses went up the mountain of God. He told the elders, wait for us this place until we return to you. Here are Aaron and Hur with you. Whoever has any matters of dispute can approach them. Now this is interesting. I'm going to pause here for a second because up in verse 9, uh, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up. 
So we have this at the mountain. The people are down at the bottom. They're too afraid to go up. So the 72 go up, but then only Moses is allowed to go into the cloud. And there's, can you, you see the like, the, it's almost like a concentric, saying that right? Concentric circle. It's a circle within a circle within a circle. And just like in Eden, you had Eden, and then God placed the garden in Eden, and then God put the tree in the middle of the garden. It's that same circle. And when the temple's constructed, you have the courtyard of the temple where all the people are allowed to go, and then you have the holy place where the priests are allowed to go, and then inside the holy place is the, the holiest place where the high priest can go. And this is like ninja Bible writing. This is so cool. Like it's just boom, 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 boom. Can you, can you guys see it? The, the circle that's going in here. Moses went up the mountain and the clouds covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord resided on Mount Sinai, the mountain, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from within the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the, of the Lord was like a devouring fire and on top of the mountain in plain view of the people. Moses went to the cloud when he went up the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain. In six verses, the mountain is referenced eight times. Now, in Hebrew, it's going to sound super clunky, but it's going to signal you, there's something here that I need to see. And so in uh, verse 15 and 16, Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord resided, or came upon, or dwelt on the mountain. Anyone read their New Testaments? Come on. Okay, transfiguration. The glory of the Lord came upon or dwelt. Here you go. The baptism. The Holy Spirit ascended and came upon him. How about 1 John 14? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacled among us. So here, you guys are good. I like it. Nice. This is great. This is great. The Shekinah glory. All right. So it came upon the mountain. So we have the New Testament and Jesus in the temple, and now we have the mountain. If only there was a reference to like Eden or something or Genesis. And the cloud covered it for six days and on the seventh day. Oh. Oh. On the seventh day. Again. Now we're back in the beginning again. Do you see how the author is doing this? He wants your brain, oh, the garden, the garden, the garden. And when Jesus comes on the scene, I mean, this is just, if you're a Jew, this is lighting up for you. Everything he did, everything he did, it should light up. He called to Moses from within the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. So just like the bush was a devouring fire. Just like in Revelations, uh, Revelation, John's uh, experience of Jesus when he says he was burning. You know, I think of Jacob seeing the, the angel who was on fire. Gideon saw the angel and he was on fire. Uh, Ezekiel's vision of Yahweh, he was on fire. You know, all of this devouring fire is really important. Again, repetition, burning fire. On top of the mountain in plain view. Moses went into the cloud when he went up the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know any references about 40 days and 40 nights, so maybe we'll just move on to the next uh, passage. Oh, you got it? You got that one? All right. Exodus 40, let's move on. So now we have the Spirit on top of the mountain, but only Moses can go in. Now remember, God, he wanted all the people 
to come to the top of the mountain. But they were afraid. Man, that's rough. God wanted all the people to come, but only Moses would come. Exodus 40. We're going to go down to uh, 34. Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So now we have not just the glory on the mountain where only Moses can go. Now the glory is in the temple, but Moses isn't able to go. But what was God's reasoning for that? Hmm. Go back to uh, in a second. Yeah, Exodus 25. Go back to Exodus 25. So this was the plan. God couldn't get the people up the mountain, so he had to come down the mountain. Exodus 25, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to take an offering for me from every person motivated by a willing heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. You are to receive my offering. This is the offering you are to accept from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skin dyed red, fine, fine leather. I don't know. That's a funny translation. It's really weird in the, in the Hebrew. So I don't know if you guys have weird translations. It's like porpoise leather or something like the porpoise skin, seal skin. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just very weird. It's, it's kind of funny when you actually study that word. Uh, Achaia wood, oil from the light. Spices from the anointing oil and for fragrant incense. Onyx stones. When was the last time we heard about onyx stones? In Eden. And other gems to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Let them make for me a holy sanctuary so that I may live among them. So they wouldn't go up to see him, but here God wants to come down and see them. That's his whole goal. The whole goal from the beginning was that he would go there. And so... uh, we know how this goes. Uh, the Israelites weren't, weren't really good. They wandered in, in the wilderness for a very long time. They finally get across with Joshua. Uh, Joshua takes names, conquers all these nations, uh, setting up the kingdom. You know, but Israel keeps falling, keeps screwing up. And uh, finally, uh, Israel asks for a king, and the Lord gives them a king, and they get Saul. And Saul screws up, of course. But then we get David, um, a man after God's own heart. And, and David, uh, you know, king, priest, priestly roles, absolutely prophet. He's like, you think it's all going to go well. And uh, the scripture telegraphs again, when, when kings are supposed to be out to war, and you just go, oh, oh no, I know it's coming. And of course, you know, you get the whole story with Bathsheba where he sees her. And this, this is really interesting too. I'll take a little rabbit trail here. The whole story with, with David and Bathsheba, um, it's actually uh, a reenactment of the Garden of Eden. And you see this throughout the whole Old Testament. My favorite is uh, Abraham. So let's start back at the beginning here. Abraham sets up uh, his altar at the Oaks of Mambre. And uh, that's, let's go there actually. I want to read this. This is good. This will be a good rabbit trail because this is really cool. This will help you too in your your pattern reading here. We're going to go to Genesis, I want to say 12. Yes. All right, Genesis 12. 
So Abraham had just set up uh, his altar at the Oaks of Mambre and he's worshiping. And then in verse 10, Genesis 12, 10, there was a famine in the land. Now, who are you going to trust when a famine comes? Are you going to do what you can in your own abilities or are you going to trust the Lord? The Lord didn't tell him to leave Mamre. He was supposed to stay there and worship. But there was a famine. So Abraham went down to Egypt. Oh, man, that's another signal. Uh, the, the biblical authors are, are so cool at this. So anytime you go up, it, it's like a good thing. You go up a mountain to worship Yahweh. That's a great thing. And in Scripture reading, whenever, whenever it says they went down, you just know something bad's going to happen. That's another pattern reading. It's really cool. You go down to Sheol. You go up to heaven. So when, when, the, when the author says they went down to Egypt, you should just be like, oh, no. Oh, no. There's something going on here. So Abraham goes down to Egypt to stay for a while because the famine was severe. As he approached Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, look, I know that you're a beautiful woman and all, but these Egyptians are they're really going to want you, and uh, they're going to kill me. Uh, which is just horrible marriage advice. Um, but there's a, but there's a, there's a scholar, um, I want you to see this, where did I put it, right here. There's a scholar by the name of Jonathan Grossman, um, and he, he's dubbed this what's called a dynamic analogy. I know I have to do with some scholarly stuff, but I'll explain it to you. What he's saying is that the whole situation in Eden, uh, Genesis 3, with the serpent, the tree, Adam and Eve, and, and Yahweh, is repeated in the biblical text a lot. And this is one of those big ones. So, and this is really cool, because if you go into different stories, you're going to see it all over the place. This is Joseph and Potiphar's wife. This is Abraham. This is David with Bathsheba, which we were just talking about. But if you, if you create a chart and you say, tree of life, the serpent, Adam and Eve, and Yahweh, you can literally place other biblical characters in their slots, and it's, and it's super fitting. So here, right here, what does Abraham do? He lies. He's the snake in this story. The Egyptians will, look at this, look at this, verse uh, 12. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, was desirous. So Sarah is now the tree, and the Egyptians are Adam and Eve. You see that? You see how the author, it doesn't matter who the character is, he rearranges the story. Abraham's supposed to be the good guy. In this story, he's the snake. But remember, he was supposed to be at the Oaks of Mambre. He was supposed to be obedient and worship Yahweh. He's doing whatever he wants in his own eyes. And so when Pharaoh's officials, down to verse 15, Sarah's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. So Abraham's wife was taken, just like the fruit, into the household of Pharaoh. And he did treat Abraham well on account of her. Even when you're in trouble, the Lord will take care of you. He'll get you out of there. Abraham received sheep and cattle, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe diseases because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Sarah summoned Abraham and said, this is verbatim from Genesis, Yahweh to Adam, what is this you have done? That's exactly what Yahweh said to Adam in the garden. Why did you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave his men orders about Abraham, and so they expelled him, just like Adam and Eve out of the garden. Now this, I'm telling you, this story will repeat constantly, but the characters will change. And so you have to be very familiar with Genesis, the story of Genesis, and you'll start seeing it 
The quilt, the quilt stories will just start repeating as man continues to fall. And David saw that Bathsheba was beautiful, and he reached out his hand and he took her. He did what was right in his own eyes. He was supposed to be at war. So that story just repeats, a little bunny trail. But I, I, the pattern, you can see the patterns really picking up in the stories. So the kings of Israel, they failed to keep the covenant. You know, and then David comes along, he screws up, but then Solomon gets to build the temple because God blesses David with a, with a great promise. Um, so 1 Kings 6, let's, uh, let's go there. This is the, the temple. Now, I'm not going to read the entire chapter because it's kind of long, but for homework, uh, this is the beauty, I think, of, of having your Bible on a laptop. It's so great. Um, I love to use, like, color highlighters, especially when you're doing pattern reading. But if you do a, I don't know, in your Bibles or your study Bibles, if you circle or underline or star or whatever, temple, in this one chapter, it's just unreal. It's like 33 times in one chapter, something like that. And when you get down into it, you'll see uh, how, how everything has started to connect. So uh, in the 400th year, First uh, Kings 6, 1, the 480th year after the Israelites left Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, during the month of Aziv, he began building the Lord's temple. And again, temple is just repeated nonstop. And when you read that, you should be like, oh, there, there's something going on here. So scroll down to, to verse uh, 11. The Lord said to Solomon, as for this temple you are building, if you follow my rules and observe my regulations and obey all my commandments. It's exactly what happened on the mountain. This is exactly what happened in Eden. Just be obedient. I will fulfill through you the promise I made to your father David. I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people. So here again we see God's heart. He just wants to be with his people. This is it. That's what he wants. And when you scroll through and you go through this chapter, it's just going to keep lighting up with temple, and then it's going to light up with Edenic imagery. Scroll down to uh, verse 29. On all the walls around the temple, inside and out, he carved cherubs, palm trees, and flowers in bloom. What, what guarded the Garden of Eden? cherubs. In the temple, when they, when they finally built the tabernacle, they, would, they drew not just cherubs over the Ark of the Covenant, but even in the veil, they put cherubs over the veil. And inside, everything, palm trees, flowers in bloom. They want garden. That's, that's the Edenic imagery. And that's what they were instructed to do for the tabernacle by Yahweh, which was supposed to be exact replica of the temple in heaven. So, again, this should make you Eden. Eden, Eden, constantly, all right? But we know the story. Solomon, uh, he didn't fare well. Uh, neither did his children after him, and uh, it got really ugly. Um, the Israelites were taken off to exile by Assyria. Um, they were allowed to come back under Nehemiah, and he rebuilds the temple, but Israel still keeps failing. And... Uh, Everything is screwed up. Nothing seems to be going right, but the Lord is faithful. And uh, the last book of the Old Testament, let's go to Micah. Micah 4. Now, in the Jewish Old Testament, you have the Pentateuch, the, writing, the prophets, and the writings. And the orders of the books is actually different than what we have. 
Now, Christians have moved Micah to the very last book of the Old Testament. And uh, I think you'll see why when you read this. We're going to go to Micah 4. Oh, sorry, Malachi. You're right. Which is an, another great promise. But I want to go to Micah. <laughs> I want to go to Micah. No, Malachi has the same thing about the messenger, the Lord's messenger, which is another one great thing to trace if you wanted to do a pattern reading of the Bible. But we're doing mountains, so we're going to go to Micah. <clears throat> Micah 4, better days are ahead for Jerusalem. In the future, the Lord's temple will be the most important mountain of all. It will be the most prominent than all the other hills. People will stream to it. Many nations will come saying, come on, let's go up to the Lord's mountain, to the temple of Jacob's God, so he can teach us his commands and we can live by his laws. For Zion will be the source of instruction. The Lord's teachings will proceed from Jerusalem. He will judge between many people and settle disputes between many distant nations. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not use weapons against other nations and they will no longer train for war. Each will sit under his own grapevine or under his own fig tree without any fear. The Lord who commands armies has decreed it. Through all the nations follow their respective gods. We will follow the Lord of our God forever. You saw the, the grapevines and fig trees? I was just wanting to make sure you saw that. Okay, good. You want the, you want the bell ring? Okay, good. All right. So, we hear, so here we have this. There's, there's going to be something in the future. There, the promise is still alive. God hasn't abandoned his people. So after, uh, after the Old Testament writings, we get uh, what are called the silent years or the intertest, intertestamental period where we have a lot of writings, um, but nothing really enters into uh, canon, church canon of the writings. But definitely read them. They're really important. Um, and we get the, you know, the Maccabean revolt uh, we have Alexander the Great spreads, spreads the Greek language to all the people. Alexander dies early. Um, his kingdom is split. And then the Romans take over. Um, Antiochus Epiphanes goes into the temple and sacrifices a pig in the temple. Not a good look. The Jews are pretty angry about that. We get that Maccabean revolt. And uh, things are pretty ugly. Uh, but then this you know, young virgin becomes pregnant in the, in the first century. And... Uh, Angels appear to shepherds in a field and say, there's a king coming. The good news, good tidings is coming. And uh, Jesus' ministry begins at his baptism. So let's go to Matthew 3. Let's read about this. Now remember all the things that we were talking about here. We're talking about mountains. Uh, we talked about Yahweh's cloud or his spirit coming upon people. We talked about fire, all of these, all of these things. Uh, so you have that pattern in you. You've got you to keep that fresh. Uh, verse 13. Matthew 3.13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? So Jesus replied to him, Let it happen now, for it is right for us to fill all righteousness. Then John yielded it to him. After Jesus was baptized, just as he was coming up out of the water, the heavens opened and saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming on him, which is exactly what we're supposed to see. And a voice from heaven said, This is my one dear son. In him I take great delight. Now, this echo is obviously from Isaiah 42, which is quoting. 
But just so you know, Eden in Hebrew is called delightful place, which is interesting. I'll just leave it, leave it at that. All right, so Jesus' ministry begins. Um, he goes about teaching about the kingdom of God. And then in Matthew 12, he says something really interesting. So turn over or click on your computer or whatever you have. Uh, we're going to go to Matthew 12, verse 6. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Greater than the temple? That's where God's presence came. That's where the high priest could enter in and make sacrifices for the people. How could it be greater than the temple? There's nothing greater than the temple. And the Jews at this time, I mean, obviously they were waiting for that, that spirit to return. So this doesn't make any sense here, does it? But then we know what happens. Jesus fulfills his ministry. He's transfigured before his disciples on a mountain. He gives his beatitudes and his teachings from a mountain. Um, after his transfiguration, he starts predicting that the Son of Man will suffer and be crucified and be raised again on the third day. Jesus is crucified on a cross, which when you read Acts is called a tree. A, a tree. So Jesus is, you see the inversion here, Jesus' death tree becomes our tree of life. Again, Eden. And then he's raised from the dead and he commissions his disciples and he ascends on high. And then in John, one of his disciples, he gets to retell this story. So turn over to John. He gets to talk about Jesus. He starts in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. Right? Right? Immediately you go back to Genesis. The Logos. So what Yahweh used to create all things, he refers to um, as, as Jesus. And he builds upon this. And then down in verse 14, now the Word became flesh and took up residence or dwelt or tabernacled among us. Just as the Spirit, the cloud, came on the mountain and Moses could interact with Yahweh face to face, Scripture says. Just as Yahweh's presence went into the tent because the people were too afraid to go to see him, he came down to see them and would move with them. And just as the presence came into the temple after Solomon blessed it, that same presence came on Jesus at his baptism. And the disciples are seeing this, that this glory, we saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. So, Jesus is now the temple, right? But then what happens next? Turn to Acts 2. I don't know if this was expected from people. I really don't. Because Paul, Paul said this was a mystery. Acts 2. Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a violent wind blowing, which is another repeated word often in the Old Testament, a wind, the wind of Yahweh, came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and tongues spreading out like fire. Fire, remember that. Appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. David was talking about remembering the, the time where he accepted Christ. And I think we all can remember the time when we accepted Christ and we were filled with the Spirit. The, the Spirit you received when you accepted Christ is the same Spirit that just came on these disciples. And it's the same Spirit that came on Jesus at His baptism. And it's the same Spirit that entered the temple with Solomon. And it's the same Spirit that entered the tent when Moses built it. And it's the same Spirit that came down on the mountain where Yahweh would come to meet with His people and Moses would meet and speak face to face. And Paul later on in his writings say, one day, one day we'll see Him face to face. Now Paul says something more here. Turn to 1 Corinthians 3. First Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple? Man. And that God's Spirit lives in you? If someone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. Just like that holy sanctuary that Moses built. Which is what you are. What was Abraham supposed to, or sorry, what was Adam supposed to do in the garden? He was to work it and to guard it. Verse 18, guard against self-deception. See, this whole passage of scripture, Paul's talking about immaturity and self-deception among the his, among the believers. Uh, you know, verse 5, he's talking about Apollos, who I think wrote Hebrews. I know my dad thinks differently. But who who is Apollos? Who is Paul? You know, we're we're, we're, we're united in Christ, in Jesus. And then he gets down to verse 16 and says, don't you know you're God's temple? Paul, no, I didn't, I didn't know I was God's temple. That's, that's amazing. <clears throat> turn over to 1 Corinthians 6, or I guess scroll down, or turn a page, or whatever you might have to do here. 619. 1 Corinthians 619. <clears throat> Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Again, we have a reference to our bodies being the temple. Ephesians 2, Paul says. Ephesians 2.11. Here Paul is talking about being united Jews and Gentiles into one body. And what, what, is he, what does he want us to do in our, in one, with him? Verse 21, In him the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The same words that was used of Jesus. So, for Paul, this, this mystery has been unveiled. And... <laughs> It's so funny how Paul writes. He's just like, don't you know? Don't you know that your body's a temple? And you're like, no, Paul, I didn't know. Uh, you know, I, my favorite is, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? No, Paul, I did not know that I was going to judge angels. But he just talks so off the cuff because he's so 
He's so entrenched in the Old Testament. He, just, he expects you to see this. And if you don't understand the pattern of the story, each square in the quilt is leading to this. And, and it is a mystery, sure, but it's been unraveled in Christ. And when you see the pictures in the squares of the, of the quilt and you get down to maybe the bottom where we are now and you start seeing that the church is now the temple, that this is where the Spirit dwells. This is where God's plan of redemption is to flow out of. If the church is now the temple, then the church is now Eden. And remember what we talked about on Tuesday, all the rivers would flow out of Eden to give life to all the nations. And that's Paul's message, is we're to be light to the Gentiles. Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And that's the plan. That's been the plan from the beginning. But it was God's desire that he would dwell with his people. And the people wouldn't go. So he came down in the Old Testament and in the New. And when you see those patterns to start picking up, it makes the whole Bible come alive. It really does. It's amazing. <clears throat> and so now the temple is the church, but we have a high priest in Hebrews 8. We're going to go over there because Peter says that we're, we're royal priests. But the plan, Abraham was the high priest, right? But the temple was destroyed in, in AD 70, so now the church is the temple, but we still need a high priest. But there's no temple. Or, I mean, there is a temple, I guess, the church. But what are you going to do, make sacrifices there? No, no, no. Jesus ascended on high to the actual temple. Remember, Moses built a temple after the image of the one he saw in a vision in heaven. So when Jesus goes to heaven, he sits down at the right hand of the Father, a sign of authority. But Hebrews also says that he's our high priest making intercession for us. But he doesn't have to make sacrifices all the time because he made one sacrifice, right? So we have a, a true tabernacle now, which is in heaven. <clears throat> so Hebrews 8 now the main point of what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that the Lord, not man, set up. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So this one too had to offer something, had to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. The place where they serve is a sketch and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary, the heavenly temple. Just as Moses was warned by God as he was about to complete the tabernacle, for he says, see that you make everything according to the design shown to you on the mountain. But now Jesus has obtained a superior ministry since the covenant that he mediates is also better and is act enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, no one would have looked for a second one. But showing its fault, God said to those Look, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will complete a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I have no regard for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will establish with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds, and I will scribe them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. That's exactly what he wanted in the garden. 
It's exactly what he wanted in the temple. It's exactly what he wanted on the mountain. And now he has it. And there will be no need at all for each one to teach his countrymen or each one to teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, since they will all know me. We don't need Moses to go in and see face to face because he wants each individual one of us to come up the mountain. For I will be merciful towards their evil deeds and their sins I will remember no more. Turn to Revelations 21. This is that cosmic future we talked about. Revelation 21, verse 10. <clears throat> so he took me away in the spirit to huge, majestic mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. The city possesses the glory of God. Again, just your brain should just be non-stop here, right? <clears throat> and he goes on to describe the temple or what he's seeing, the gates coming down, the new Jerusalem. But then in verse 22, this is good, this is so good. Now I saw no temple in the city, because the Lord God, the all-powerful, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon, again reference to, Gen to Genesis 1, the creation of the sun and the moon, because the glory of the Lord lights it up and its light lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their grandeur into it. Its gates will never be closed during the day. They will bring the grandeur and the wealth of the nations into it, but nothing ritually unclean, keep and guard, will ever enter into it, or anyone who does what is detestable or practices falsehood, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the rivers of the water of life, Waters as clear as crystal pouring out from the throne of God and the Lamb. Flowing down the middle of the city's main street, on each side the river is the tree of life producing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month of the year. Its leaves are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. His servants, his kingdom of priests, will worship him, and they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more, and they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will shine on them, and they will... What a story. What a story. And I know we all know the story. And I'm trying to... I don't know what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to encourage you guys to, to see the whole story. And when you read the biblical text back, you know, where the pages might be a little sticky, where things might seem weird, and where things don't make any sense, I'm trying to equip you with, with a little tool that might help you. Because when you start seeing the patterns, there's a reason the New Testament just quotes the Old Testament so much. They saw the story. And for me, that was really my desire was... To see, to see the whole story. And this tool really helped me. Um, it really lit up the Bible for me. And so I wanted to, to share with you, with you with that. But there's many other patterns that you should see. There's many other repeated words and phrases that you should see. But uh, most of all, when you're reading the New Testament, I, I hope you hear this. Because the story isn't out of thin air. 
This plan of redemption has been from the very beginning, from the garden. And uh, (laughs) it's beautiful to know the end. But uh, even here, you know, now, we have paradise in the future, and paradise was in the beginning. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Paul, you know, whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. But paradise was today for him. And paradise is for you today as well in a relationship because God, he wants to dwell with you more than you want to dwell with And he's had this plan from the beginning. And uh, in the end, we'll see face to face. Um, But we have work to do. We're to keep and to guard and to worship. And just as the new Adam said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And the streams of water for the lost. That's what I have. Thank you, Zach. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm-mm. Thank you, Father. Open our eyes to see wonderful things out of thy law. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, that blessed me, Zach. Thank you very much. And it, well, I'll talk tonight. It dovetails so much with the theme of what God has put on our heart for the whole week of our being seated with Christ in heavenly places and walking in the reality of the realm of the Spirit, the kingdom of heaven that is at hand. That bell is at hand. It's within reach. It's what it means. The kingdom of heaven is within reach. Amen. Thank you, by the way, for participating. Uh, it was so good to see Pastor Vitale. Get up and stretch those legs and move about. We're trying to do something a bit challenging right now. Can everyone come and join us? Cut out that fellowship. That's just too much fellowship. What y'all doing? Loving on one another? Don't you know that's contagious? <laughs> They're not even looking at me. Adriel, are we on? Praise the Lord. I need you to be seated. We're going to try to go live with Odessa, Ukraine right now. Come on, run, run, run. Adriel, are we Okay. I can't hear you. 30 seconds. All right. Well, I'm muted here, but I've got them on a Zoom call. They pray every night in Odessa. Odessa was hit terribly yesterday. Uh, Several were killed. uh, Missile attack. But the church continues to intercede every night at 9 p.m. And at 2 o'clock is 9 o'clock there, so I thought we'd just jump on for five minutes. So that's their worship before they begin to pray. Why don't we stand up, begin to pray for Ukraine, begin to pray for the pastors of Ukraine. Oh, there's the anointing right there. Glory. Oh, Father, we bless you. Save this nation, Lord. Save Ukraine, Lord. Oh, Lord. Bless them, Lord Jesus. 
We lift up Pastor Vitel. We ask you to give him wisdom, supernatural wisdom. You said a wise man overcame a city. A wise man can overcome war. We ask you, Lord, to keep them safe and guide them and direct them in the paths where they should be and keep them from where they should not be. Supply their needs supernaturally. Multiply every gift given. Thank you, Lord, that we need less and less medicine because the healing power of God raises people up. Supernatural manifestations of wounds closing, limbs recreated, diseases departing. Give us working of miracles, gifts of healing among the people, Lord. We bless you, Father. We bless you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Bless you, Pastor Vitelli. Praise the Lord. Карен, попривет, скажи что-нибудь Дейлу, что мы его слышим там про все. Hi, Dale. Hey, Karen Dale, John. We hear you, but, uh, but you've been frozen up and uh, it's not clear. Well, I hope our love is clear. Um, and your voice is breaking up and it's not clear. Well, we love you. <laughs> well, they can see us, they can't hear us. Lift your hands up and shout, hallelujah. У всех с помехами или только я так слышу? Да, да, с помехами. Они нам передают привет, я так понял. Но там будет фонит, понимаешь? Там фонит, они включают звук на телефоне, микрофон. Конечно, что... Карина, иди сюда. Я просто на хозяйстве один, Оля уехала, моя бригада сейчас будет... We can hear we can hear you, Corinne. Can you hear us? Oh, you can hear us? <laughs> yes, we can hear you. Oh, okay, okay. Now они нас слышат. Они могут нас слышать. Okay. И мы вас слышим. I think we hear you now too. Okay. Praise the Lord. We love you. We're praying for you. And we believe that God will continue to use you in supernatural ways. Дейл говорит, мы любим вас, мы верим, что Господь будет продолжать использовать вас сверхъестественным путем. Amen. Amen. 
Well, we'll, we will leave you to your prayer time and we will continue in our prayer time and I will see you soon. Он говорит, ну мы оставляем вас в вашем молитвенном марафоне, а мы продолжим наше молитвенное, тоже у них там собрание молитвенное. И он говорит, увидимся скоро. Скажи им, Карен, что мы благодарны за их поддержку, за поддержку нас и за Pastor Vitaly is saying that he is very thankful and appreciates for all the support and all the help and the stand that you took for our nation. We love you and we send our blessings back to you guys. Amen. Jesus is Lord over Ukraine and U.S. and all over the world. Amen. Bye bye. Пока пока. Пока пока. Bye bye. Auf Wiedersehen. Ага, все понятно. Давай, Моисей, продолжай прославление. Йоу-йоу-йоу-йо. Аллилуйя. Amen. Well, we can say goodbye and and, and... Leave, leave the chat now, guys. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Can you leave the chat? <laughs> I don't have it on. Somebody has it on somewhere. <laughs> Amen. We have the beginning of a 10-man team. The third week in September, we have two volunteers. We're started. Amen. <laughs> Now, we call them men, but they're, they're warrior women that want to go. So oh. we have two ladies that stepped up and said, we will go. So now we need eight more people. So if you know anybody, let them know about the 10-men team. If you know neighbors, if you don't like your neighbor, tell them about us. We'll take them along. They'll be much more workable when they come back. <laughs> And if you really don't like them, we'll take them to the front line. Praise the Lord. No, that's a joke. You all know. Praise the Lord. Greet somebody, hug somebody, and you may be seated. God bless you. That's good news.